At a time when the country is so divided, it seems we can all agree on one thing. The human race does not deserve dogs. What did we do in our existence to have the privilege of their unconditional love and affection? The pitter-patter of paws around the house, the wet nose to wake us up, the absolute explosion of joy upon our arrival. Many of us hope to be the people our dogs think we are, but we're not. Some walking among us are hiding secrets, secrets that could bring peace and closure to families in despair. But while humans fail to speak, the dogs can smell. Pastor Rick Warren said, knowing your purpose gives meaning to your life. We were made to have meaning. Then he sold hundreds of millions of books to help people find that purpose. And let's be honest, some dogs have more purpose in life than a lot of people. Some dogs can act as a pillow when someone is writhing with a seizure. Others lead the blind through a crowded plaza, alert people to low insulin, act as a metaphorical shield to anxiety, and find truffles with their noses, like mine. And it's those noses that bring these good boys into our story. I'm Samantha Cortese, a journalist at KTLA. I was born and raised in the Coachella Valley. I worked there as a journalist. I developed sources for half a decade, and now I'm in Los Angeles. In this podcast, we are going to look at what we know about what happened to Jonathan Reynoso and Aubrey Moran. You're going to follow me on this journey of finding out what happened to them. This is California Crime, The Disappearance of Jonathan and Audrey, Episode 3. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. To learn more about Jonathan and Audrey's disappearance, I reached out to private investigator Luis Bolaños. Investigator Bolaños has decades of law enforcement under his belt, much of which working with the Riverside County District Attorney's Office and the Riverside County Homicide Team. Today, he runs Get Bit Investigations, a criminal and civil private investigation team. Being a desert native like me, Investigator Bolaño said he started looking into the case independently after a year went by and no one had found Jonathan or Audrey. To be clear, he's doing this on his own, separate from any involvement with law enforcement or the family, though he has offered his services to them pro bono. Lewis tells me that something about this case stood out to him from the very beginning. When I first started looking into this case uh, about two years ago, uh, one of the first things that I did is simply just read the missing persons flyer, which may be one of the reasons why we're still here at this point today. I don't get it. But on the flyer itself that was put out by DOJ, the Department of Justice, it labeled Jonathan and Audrey as voluntarily missing which okay why is that it was on their website for weeks and i don't think it came down until months after that it was up there for a long time um so i went to the doj website um just to go over <laughs> the uh, some of the labels they give to a missing person missing couple doesn't matter um until you prove to law enforcement otherwise that they're more than just missing that they're victims of homicide they attached a missing label. So I'm gonna read you just, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different labels, ranging from catastrophic missing, dependent adult, just lost, parent family abduction, runaway, stranger abduction, suspicious circumstances, unknown missing, or the one that was labeled initially for Jonathan and Audrey, voluntary missing adult. They define that by missing adult who has left on his or her own free will. So for them to, to 
to label them as missing voluntarily, that's a huge indicator. And it stayed like that for quite a long time. So when DOJ puts them on their website as a missing couple, they have a form, a report form here. And top of that form, Samantha, they have every label that I just read to you there. For some reason, someone decided to check the box and keep it that way and label them as missing voluntarily. So you don't think that was a clerical error? I don't believe that was a clerical error. I think that was possibly based on the information they had at that time, but it changed. It somehow had morphed into something else. And what caused that to change is anybody's guess at this point. So what could investigators have learned to make them change their minds about how or why Jonathan and Audrey went radio silent? One possibility, the dogs. Investigators found Audrey's gray GMC terrain using OnStar on May 12th, a little more than 36 hours after they were last seen. It was along the side of Interstate 10 in Beaumont. Here's Bolaños again. So they did the investigation they were supposed to do at that scene. And part of that is they brought in a bloodhound. And uh, I think as I mentioned to you before, Riverside County Sheriff's Department has one of the best bloodhound units in the nation. They're phenomenal. I got to see that scene thing grow from infancy to where it is now. They're phenomenal, the cases they have solved. You don't bring a bloodhound in for a voluntarily missing person or couple. So that's indicative in itself. And that's early on. And the result of that search at that time by the bloodhound was that yes, their scents were picked up at Audrey's vehicle, not just at the vehicle, of course, it's going to be there, but it was tracked away from the vehicle for, I don't know, say 30 to 50 feet, who knows but it's consistent with them getting possibly into another vehicle. Whether they got into that vehicle at their own free will or not, who knows, but it's, you know, just sure doesn't seem like you would park your car on the side of I-10 and jump into another car, especially since their vehicle was running just fine. It did not have a mechanical problem. Right, and that's what Indio police said at the time too, that they didn't find anything suspicious about the car. It was full of gas, no windows were broken, it seemed as if whoever was in the car got out of the car. And does that lead to a voluntary missing label? Uh, was that too soon, do you think, for them to label it that way on May 11th and 12th? I do. I do. And I, again, they may have a reason for doing that, but my goodness. Right? But it changed. I, right? it, it changed. It changed. It morphed. It changed. And maybe what they discovered that day led to the change. Bolaños told me about a firsthand experience with the Riverside County canine team and why he put so much faith into their ability. One of the first times that we ever got a search warrant signed in Riverside County based on the results of the bloodhound had to do with a bank in the city of Palm Desert that was hit uh, three times in, I want to say, a two-month period. And the person ran uh, uh, pretty much the same direction, but, but we lost it every time. Same, we felt pretty comfortable as the same individual. Um, so on three different occasions, in three or four weeks apart, we brought three different bloodhounds in. And we made sure that we did not tell them where about anything about the previous uh, scent tracking attempts. So the first one comes in and we track it about 12 miles uh, toward India to the front door of a residence. 
we just so we just leave it at that. We do our homework on that residence. We have an idea. It hits again uh, three or four months. The bank gets hit again second time. We bring in a second bloodhound, same scenario, right? And we track this to the same location, a different handler, a different dog. And now we do it a third time about a month later and we end up at the same house. Based on that and other displays that we did for the court in Riverside County and for judges specifically, for the first time in Riverside County, we had a search warrant signed based on that tracking. At that time, it was unheard of. Um, Incredible. We, we, we never served it because we ended up just knocking at the door and getting cooperation, but uh, they were at the right house. So I wanted to learn more about this team. I wanted to know the science behind the crime-sniffing dogs, the real Scruff McDuffs. Because of COVID, I can't go meet these magnificent snouts or their dogs. Just kidding. But Riverside County Canine Team was kind enough to meet with me over Zoom. These days, anyone with a dog can commiserate trying to conduct a business call while your dog just wants to play. So you might hear the canines in the background. The team consists of Deputy Janine Sandoval with Canine Raven, Deputy Adam Kurlowitz with Canine Caroline, and Deputy Sean Gerganius with Canine Peyton. Here's Deputy Gerganius. I had a, a missing person that I had to go as a, as a patrol deputy. And I think it was about 02 that I took it. Um, we called out a bloodhound and that's the first, first interaction I had with the bloodhounds. And her dog tracked from the home of my missing person and went uh, about a half mile to a bus stop and just stopped at the bus stop and wouldn't move. So I called the RTA, the, the bus agency, and found out where that bus went. And it ended up being at the mall. So I sent a deputy to the mall and that guy got right off the bus. So it was, for me, it was pretty amazing to see that that dog went straight to that bus stop and stopped and was like, okay, this is where the trail ends. And we were able to find the guy. Um, I had a different course I went, <laughs> sorry. Canine Peyton found a treat hiding in his pants pocket. They're trained. Our dogs are rewarded with treats when they find their missing person. So my dog is very, very food driven. So she's gotten on the counter and gotten food. As humans, we all have different talents. So I asked, do certain breeds have different assignments? German Shepherds, Malinois, Bloodhounds. A Bloodhound was used on the scene where they found Audrey's car. Here's Deputy Sandoval. All dogs can do what the bloodhounds do. All dogs have unique, very, very good scenting ability. They use their nose. Obviously, everybody knows that their nose, that's their, that's the way they see the world. We see with our eyes and they see with their nose. Um, bloodhounds specifically are basically bred for this. Their face folds up in the front and their ears whacked in front. That's why they have those floppy, droopy ears. And that's what traps the scent and kind of funnels it into their nose better. Um, but you can train any of these dogs to do what these dogs do. We use Malinois, we used, uh, what's the other ones? German Shepherds? Shepherd Shepherds. We use um, Labs. Labs, yeah. Uh, Springer Spaniels. Right. So, so we, we just go and we, we basically pick these dogs because they have a high drive and a high um, just work drive. You have to have that work ethic in the dog and it can't be like afraid of things um, or you, you, you have to work it out of them, you know. Um, obviously dogs get spooked with loud noises and things like that, fireworks, you know, things. But people, they can't be afraid of people. They can't be afraid of, you know, 
um, you know, just driving down the street with road noise or bus noises, things of that nature. So we try and work in all different areas of the county with all different situations in order to see how they perform in different scenarios. So we can identify problems and then work on those problems to make sure that they are well-rounded enough to perform the job. Deputy Gurgania speaking now. We've trained to where we leave like a ransom note at a liquor store and the dogs have sent it off that ransom note and found found the person that we had hiding. So to me, that's that's what sparked my interest was just how amazing is that? To think that this dog can smell this small, small item, you know, a, a chapstick, a, a hair tie, a big one we're using now is the, the uh, COVID mask. You know what I mean? Just everything you can think of that we get to a scene and you know, they don't have like the, the perfect, the perfect scent item. You know what I mean? Like a t-shirt or where the person is sweated. That's not available. So last week, Adam used the, uh, this uh, computer screen, the touch screen in our patrol cars. He used that and let the dog sniff off the screen. And just from Janine using her computer with the tip of her finger, the dog was able to take the scent off that and, and trail and, and find Janine hiding. This is fascinating to me. Remember, Audrey's sister said Audrey left in her car, the GMC Terrain, around 8 p.m. Wednesday, May 10th. The car was found Friday, May 12th at 9 a.m. off the side of the freeway in Beaumont, 36 hours after we know for sure Audrey was last in her car. None of these deputies worked the case when Audrey's car was found in 2017, but I wanted to know the science behind what it means for a dog to get a hit. So is it the skin cells? Like what exactly is it that they're getting off of that scent? Everybody has a unique smell to them. It's comprised of just your general genetic makeup and the things that we put on top of our skin, like lotions and like sprays, colognes, and then what we eat comes out, you know, when we have a good garlic meal, it comes out of us, right? (laughs) It's, 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 It's unique and That is Deputy Sandoval asking us to pause for a moment because something radioed into the scanner in her ear. Anyways, so so it's comprised of of that. Um, As we walk around, it's kind of gross to think, but we lose skin cells all all day, every day, right? That stuff comes off of us. What they're saying now is that the dog's ability to scent is based on gases that come off of that off of those skin cells so we know that they can they have an ability to do what's called scent discriminate tell between you me him and everybody else so that's what makes these bloodhounds different than all the other dogs and that's what makes them ideal for use in missing person situations and in criminal um, deployments in city type environments it's difficult though it's difficult because it it degrades those skin particles and that that those gases go away over time and with heat and with wind and with with just displacement from you know traffic and wind and heat and all all the people that trample over it after right so just think about that i like to think about it as you know 
I leave a pink highlighter mark. And wherever I walk, I leave that pink highlighter mark. But think about everybody that traverses it, all the different colors that will come across my path. And they have to sort through that. And they have to key in on that specific scent, my pink highlighter scent, right? So um, that's why we train in, in parks and schools and we like to do a lot of city work like in neighborhoods um stairs, but yeah that's the, yeah malls, stairs shopping malls, shopping trains. malls train stations um so everywhere we go and train it's because we need we need something unique from that environment something that hasn't been done in that environment or we're just simply trying to acclimate them to heat um yeah, Dogs. I imagine the desert between the heat and the wind, especially in like yeah. Palm Springs, um, I'm sure that just erodes whatever scent was left behind by whoever or whatever you're looking for. Exactly. And you got to think about also just general, like just weather physics. So is I don't know what you call it, maybe weather patterns. Heat rises, right? So when you have this scent that's coming off of us, that's microscopic, right? it also comes up with those, we call them thermals or whatever. It comes up, right? Because heat rises, it takes it up with it. So that's why we don't, we don't deploy in high heat areas because there simply isn't enough scent left on the ground. The dog is only operating at a certain level, right? This, the nose is down or the nose is up. But past that, if the scent is up here, it's not gonna, it's not gonna tra trail correctly. So a lot of times we wait until the evening hours, until it cools down a little bit and things have settled. And then whatever's left over, hopefully we have something to go off of. Um, we're not at 100% success rate, they're dogs, you know, and we're working on just changing environments, very difficult environments, especially out here on the West Coast. Time, weather, heat. Um, the best climate to trail in is cold, and wet so well, the opposite are, of riverside yeah. county yeah. <laughs> so we are uh, we have to be better we have to be um we have to train these guys to to try and overcome that and that's very very difficult out here in the west coast have we been successful yes absolutely we have been but we're not going to be as successful as people that are in the cold Jonathan and Audrey's scents tracked for about 50 feet from the GMC terrain, then their scents vanished. To give you an idea, the car was found 36 hours after Audrey's sister said she left her house. The high in Beaumont that day where the car was found was about 80 degrees on May 11, 2017. So I asked, how do you know when your dog loses a scent? What does that mean for the traceability of the person in question? Here's Deputy Kurlowitz until canine caroline got into something the scent dissipates like i said if it's heat you know and if it's really windy it could just burn off or it could be the fact somebody did get in the car and the dog took you hey what are you eating over there yeah there she goes in, in my case with the with the bus bench you when you work with their your dog you work as a team so there's certain clues that my dog would do that i know she wants to go this way or she's not on it you know what i mean if she's doing certain things in, in that case, I wasn't running the dog. I was just following behind it as a, as a new deputy. But he knew that once the dog got to that bench and the dog just stopped trailing, okay, the dog knows the scent ended here. 
the person knows, oh, hey, there's a bus bench right there. They probably got on the bus. So it's like kind of a common sense thing, you know what I mean? The deputies want people to know this stuff. They're cute and smart, but their job has lives on the line. It's dangerous. And you never know when you might need their help to find a missing loved one. If we're not out there handling calls, we're training. Yeah. And we're, we're literally training in every situation you could possibly think of. You know what I mean? We've gone down to Lake Paris and put our dogs by the water and we put them on helicopters and, you know, any situation you can imagine because, you know, it's not like a, it's not a routine thing of how people are going to disappear. If somebody has dementia or they're autistic, their mind is not, their, their mind is thinking different. So they're not going to walk in a straight line and just walk to the park and sit on a bench. You know, we had a guy the other night that they found him in the middle of the street on one of our busy streets, just had no idea where he was at. So we have to train with that thought in mind. It's, it can become dangerous too, especially with the, with traffic around us and, you know, it's dark and, or we're, we're trailing after a suspect that's armed, you know, that, that can happen too. So it's not only we're finding, you know, people with, with memory issues or autistic people or missing children, we also delve into the realm of actual criminal cases where we are tracking dangerous people. So, and we're right at the very, very beginning, we're right at the front of that. And, um, you know, those encounters are, are, there's a big question mark at the end of your trail, right? So our minds have to be wrapped around that. We need to train for every scenario, obviously, and time is of an essence. We, we have to get there quick in order to give our dogs the best success. We're not gonna be successful 100% of the time. You know, things happen. We can't say with 100% certainty that Jonathan and Audrey were in the GMC terrain when it somehow made it to Beaumont, but I'm pretty convinced if my dog can smell a tennis ball in a cupboard five feet off the ground, why wouldn't I have faith in this government-trained bloodhound? They say these dogs are working dogs, but they're also partners, companions. So next time you see one in public, maybe you'll think of this interview. Here's Deputy Gerganius. Our dogs are used for a lot of PR, um, especially nowadays with how everything's going with law enforcement. Yeah. Our dogs, they're not aggressive, and they like to be around kids. They like to be around people. So it's good for the public to come out and meet our dogs and see our dogs and see what we do. And, you know, people see us running in neighborhoods. Last night we trained in, in neighborhoods and they don't, you know, they just see a bunch of cops running, chasing a dog. They don't understand what we're doing. So after we're done training, we stop and we explain it to them and, you know, let their kids pet the dogs or whatever. And just to let them, people can see how hard we're out there training to get our dogs on a level to where if their loved one's missing, they Right. We're on board and we're ready to go. Yeah. We're, we're, we're deploying our dogs. We're in the heat. We're in the rain. We're in, we work, you know, we get called out three in the morning. It, there's no limits for us. So that's where we're, we get our dogs to that level to where they're ready to go just like we are. Here's Deputy Kurlowicz. You know, for me, it's helping the public. Being there for the public is what I hired on to do. And uh, again, you get to run behind a dog as well. And this essentially play with a dog, but train the dog and just be a part of a family of a team with these guys and just the patrol deputies out there in my department, my sheriff, uh, my supervisor. So really it's just a realm of all that for me. And just, that's it. 
that's the glory for me. And if I can find that one person or provide investigative leads to where something might be, I'm in. Jonathan and Audrey's case won't be solved without someone having the courage to speak up. And nearly three years after their disappearance, it looks like someone might have. Back in February of this year, uh, it's not uncommon for us to get this, these type of tips um, uh, at all, uh, because people are trying to keep their anonymity and, and protect themselves and their family. But we were given information uh, uh, about a location uh, in the east end of the valley, um, and I'm being uh, general on purpose, uh, where they believed that Jonathan and Audrey may have been uh, assaulted at violently, um, and that there would be evidence there of that. Within a few days, public information, uh, I, and I don't believe it was related to this at all, they were, they were digging in the Indio area, the Sheriff's Department. They were digging up someone else's, somebody's backyard. Um, you wouldn't do that just on a whim. Uh, it would take a search warrant signed by a judge. You lay out probable cause that it's very likely that you're going to find something in that dig. It's pretty uh, intrusive, to say the least. And I know they had bulldozers and heavy equipment out there, and they blocked it off for two or three days. I don't forget. I remember exactly how long it was. But they, it was a major project. So I'm hoping that's indicative of this case moving in the right direction. It definitely stirred uh, the elements out there in that area. Oh, for sure. Scuttlebutt was it was related to Jonathan and Audrey. Right. I I just, I know the Sheriff's Department law enforcement never said that officially, um, but it's a natural perception. A natural perception and maybe the right one. Uh, Over the last three years, the Sheriff's Department has served over 50 search warrants in relation to this missing, missing person's case. Uh, obviously, as time goes by and as inf- information is obtained and learned, uh, this changed from a missing persons case to uh, a homicide investigation. That's next time on California Crime. This has been Episode 3 of California Crime, The Disappearance of Jonathan and Audrey, a KTLA podcast production. Hosted and produced by me, Samantha Cortese. Audio by KTLA podcast producer Bobby Gonzalez. And special thanks to Olson Ebright for giving me the green light to tell this story. If you know anything about Jonathan and Audrey's disappearance, please call the designated hotline. It's 760-393-3544. You can choose to remain anonymous.